through 17. And so because we've read this list before, I thought, well, how can we switch this up? You know, as we go through this list, as I read this list to you, I, I just encourage you, I'd invite you to stand and listen to these words because moving around will make it feel different. Um, and picture the apostle that wrote this to this little church, um, what he was trying to say to this church. So if you would stand with me as I read Colossians 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, we were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, as with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it as a representative of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can have a seat. One of my spiritual mentors from uh, a distance is a, is a man named Henry Nowen. I'm not sure how many of you know Henry Nowen. But, but Henry tells a story about when he and a couple of friends went to go visit uh, Senator Hubert Humphrey. We have an airport named after him. And the reason they went to visit Senator Humphrey was that he was the most caring man in politics at the time. And so they went into his office and they greeted him, and he came back from behind his huge monogamy desk, and he greeted him, he offered him to sit down in this kind of couch area, and he and his friends wanted to talk to him about compassion in politics. And as soon as they said compassion in politics, he, he kind of got a, a strange look on his face, he turned around, he walked back to his desk, and he picked up a pencil. And he said, he said, Gentlemen, I want you to take a look at this pencil. Now, just as the eraser is a very small part of the pencil, so compassion is just a really small part of, of competition. He said, you only use an eraser when you make mistakes. And it's sad to say, but in politics, you only use compassion when you make mistakes. The main part of life is competition, and the eraser is only the compassion. Now, is that just sad? Or is, might that be true? I mean, think about it. How many other cultures in the world, I got to take a culture and ministry class this week in, in an intensive as well. Think about how many other cultures in the world um, send their, their family members who are sick and dying away. And I realize that we do it because we get great health care. But think about how many other cultures um, send their loved ones to assisted living facilities for the last parts of their life. I want, I want to be respectful, um, and I'm not dissing where I come from. But, but as I think about the majority culture in America, I think it's pretty safe to say that we like to stay away from pain. We like to let someone else deal with pain and suffering. 
even those who are supposed to be really close to us. Instead, we like to spend a lot of our energy and a lot of our time on getting ahead. You know, we might, we might even say that, that we want to stand out, we want to be first, we want to achieve, and the way we do that is through competition. In fact, I might even assert that competition might be one of our main motivators in life. I mean, just think about if you're a student, or if you were a student, think about how you formed your identity as a student. Wasn't it, wasn't it through our differences? I mean, didn't you get your identity from uh, what you were really good at, or possibly what you were really bad at? I mean, I think we are rewarded, recognized, or even rejected by our differences. If someone is really fast, they get noticed. If someone's really slow, they get noticed too. If someone is really smart, or someone is really unintelligent, they get noticed. If someone is really good-looking, and someone is really unattractive, I think both get noticed. I think in all those cases, our identity for a large part is shaped by the positive and the negative voices that come from these differences or come from this competition. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not anti-competition. Anybody who's played a game with me knows I get a tad competitive. Um, But as I reflected on on compassion the last couple of weeks and thought about this, I, I think that compassion and competition are pretty incompatible. I just, I don't think we can have both. And you might not agree with my choice, but I would, I would say to you today that I don't think com- com- competition is the best way to live. It's certainly, certainly not the way Jesus lived. Um, I'm going to fly through some verses. I'm not expecting you to write them down. You can if you want. They're not going to be on the screen. We'll put them in our Next Steps discussion sheet. But if you want to, grab a pencil because Jesus had a remarkable way of showing compassion. In Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7, he gave this sermon where he stood up on a mountain. He came down and he taught the people in a way they could understand. He came down the mountain. There was a leper. There was someone who was diseased. He, He said, Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing, be healed. Then later in Matthew 14, he saw a large crowd and Jesus had compassion and healed their sick. And then in Matthew 15, he called the disciples to him and he says, I have compassion on these people because they've been with me for three days and they've had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them home hungry because they might faint and die. And so he fed them. In Matthew 20, he had compassion on blind men and he touched their eyes. They received their sight. In Matthew 23, he looked over the city of Jerusalem, a city that, that had killed their prophets and stoned the people that had come to bring truth. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother gathers her children. He had compassion on that city. And it's not just in the book of Matthew. In Mark, it says that Jesus landed. He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. In Matthew, he healed their sick. But in Mark, he taught them things. Later in Mark, or later in Luke, he sees a widow about to bury her son. She's, she, he's died. She's in a funeral procession. Jesus knows that this widow, that's her only form of support, her only form of having a voice in the the culture that they live in. And he reaches up and he heals the boy that he raises him from the dead, gives the widow back her son. In In Luke 19, he again approaches the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. 
Compassion, though, goes way, way more than just feelings. This isn't a, this isn't a nice little talk about being sensitive. Um, he definitely did feel something. It says that deep down in his guts, like the depth of his soul, he reached out to these people. Yes, with emotions, but so much more than that. With the hungry, he becomes hungry. And with the lost, he becomes lost. With the sick, he became sick. With the weary, he became weary. With the homeless, he became homeless. With those who had joy and those who had happiness, he rejoiced with them. With, with people that were in celebration and, and celebrating a festival, he celebrated with them. In all of those situations, we see the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of God revealed in Jesus. And, and I don't know how much of that you already knew. Um, there's a lot of that. I kind of knew as a pastor, and so I'm like, I just have to start practicing this. You know, I just have to start doing it. I have to be compassionate. I have to listen. I have to reach out. I have to care. I have to help. And so I started doing that. I started doing that when we gave out the um, challenge to go to Westview and, and read with kindergartners. So I've been going to Westview, and I've been reading with kindergartners. And it hit me as I'm serving them that I think a lot of times on their road from saying, okay, I'll, I'll go with you, Rob. Like, competition's not the best way. We should, like, move over here towards compassion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being as competitive as I am, not caring as much about winning and losing or sticking out from the crowd or being number one. I, I'll, go, I'll go over here. And we start journeying towards compassion. And sometimes we get stuck in the middle in a place I'll call convenience. Because sometimes... We like to help people, and when we do, it's because really deep down in our heart, in our gut, we think we're better than them. I mean, if you think about it, no, none of us would say that, but if you think about it, um, we want to help someone because we might have more than they do. More experience, more education, more time, more money. And so we really do it hand down instead of a hand across or out. And it's really, really subtle. But as I was sitting in this class this week, this professor said, you know, superiority cloaked in serving is still superiority. Superiority covered or masked by, by serving is still superiority. And it hit me when, when, when this convenience is so subtle because it's it's serving from a distance it's it's serving down or caring below it's 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 actions on my schedule when it's convenient for me and and where this hit me was for two weeks i'd been sitting at this adult-sized table in an adult-sized chair with this little tiny chair next to me and i was going through the alphabet with these beautiful kindergartners i mean they're just fun not excuse my kindergartners at the time but but still fun and as I sat for two weeks and did this, one day I came over and I said, you know, it's an adult-sized chair and an adult-sized table. And when they sit in the kid's chair, they can barely get up on the table. They look like the Peanuts cartoons where their elbows are above their eyes. And I said, um, you can sit in the adult chair. And they kind of looked at me and I'm like, no, you sit here. I'll sit in the little chair and I'll still help you. And as I sat in this chair, and then all of a sudden my neck was at the table <laughs> like this. 
and I'm looking up. I'm looking up at the kindergartner. I went, whoa. Like, I just don't understand compassion. It's not just a convenient serving thing. It's not packing a box and shipping it off. I mean, it can be. It's not just saying alphabets with letters, although it can be. But, but it was serving and understanding them first. And I can't understand someone else unless I'm willing to learn from them, unless I'm willing to get down at their level, unless we're willing to get down and look up or look across. So we can't understand them until we learn with them, from them, and about them. And if you think about it, isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, in in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus' compassion and his humility had him leave his divine power, leave his privileges, and take the position of a slave, it says, a position of a human being. And he humbled himself, not just to live life as we had to, not just to struggle like we struggle. Hebrews says, we don't, we don't have this God who can't understand us. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he went through those things. He left his privileges to come down and experience life as we did. But not just that, he became obedient to God. It says, even to death and death on a cross. Now, just, not just the effort of, of the cross as we've come to know it, but think about that in terms of status. In terms of being a king, you have a very high status. In terms of being a king's official, you can kind of get whatever you want. In terms of a commoner, not so much. Jesus didn't just humble himself to the average human being. Jesus continued to humble himself lower and lower and lower until, quite honestly, he was probably naked on that cross. He had the lowest status he could go. How, I mean, could you get lower than a capital offender? He got down so low, I, I believe, so that any one of us would have to look down to see him in his final status. So when I hear someone who hates church or just doesn't get God and they say, you know, I've just been such a bad person or you don't understand how bad I've been, I want to invite them to see this picture of Jesus who got even lower than that so that he could look up at this person. I mean, absolutely, to pay for the sin and the penalty that it brings, yes, but to understand where we come from, to come under us and lift us up. That, I found out this week, is true compassion. To come to the level of the other, to understand them, and to lift them into a place of significance. Now, as we fill these boxes, I want us to think about where these men and women are at, what they're doing, and how they're doing it. And I want us to pray that they would have peace too. I mean, we can attend a worship gathering and we can perform service projects. We can even like attend a life group and never find the heart of God. It's not until we open ourselves up. Like compassion comes from this word like that means our our depths of our being. As we open up the depths of our being to safe people, Not like spew yourself to everyone, but just a couple safe people as we open ourselves up, as we're truly vulnerable. 
we not only allow ourselves to be known, but we allow ourselves to understand the compassion of God to meet someone at a similar level and to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. That's why we started Restoration. That's our hope for what a Christ-centered community would be. And as we serve together as a Christ-centered community, both to people here and to people not here, I want us to move beyond competition and even beyond convenient serving to this place where we can truly live out compassion, where we can understand not only God's love, but also his goodness and finally his glory. So I want you to just pause for a minute and if it helps to close your eyes, I'm not going to have you do anything weird. I just want you to reflect on your life. And if you were to have a spectrum of competition where I have to fight and fight and fight to make my identity known, it's got to come through my efforts and making my difference in the world. Or you were to look kind of in the middle at convenience. Okay, I, I've gotten away from finding my identity in something else, but, but I'm still kind of consumed with me because, um, because it's just really hard to come down, down to that level. So I kind of just serve when it's convenient. Uh, all the way over to compassion, where we can truly give of ourselves from the goodness and the grace that God has given us. Where would you put yourself? Again, it's not a self-improvement list. It's as we, as we ask God to give us a new self, which is what this book, this letter uh, called Colossians is all about. As we say yes to Jesus, he gives us a new life. The core of our being has changed. The operating system has changed. We don't have to strive to be different. We don't have to eke out an identity or, or seek an identity. We get an identity. We receive an identity as a child of God. And we live out from that place. As we do that, it doesn't take a huge effort. By God's Spirit, he gives us the grace and the power to do that. So where would you place yourself in? In what conversation would you have with God about that? God, move us from competition and move us all the way to compassion that we might see ourselves new and see you in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen.